Dessert is delicious with better buddies. Hello, and welcome back to Better Buddies. I'm your host, RJ. With us this week, we've got James. Hello. And a DNA strand. Oh, I think it looks more like a chain. It does, but I've my first thought was DNA strand, so I stuck with it. Yeah, it looks like the X's on, is from... Two, three, four, five, six. We got six chains with us. <laughs> nice. I hate it. Dick. You created is this it? problem. I know. And I can still hate it. Fair enough, Calvin. I, re- I reserve the right to hate myself. Ouch. Oh my god! Don't take a... this from me. Well, God. Well, oh, hello, yeah. Calvin. Woo! Our better buddies icebreaker this week. What is your favorite spice or condiment, and why? Bulldog sauce. Bull- What's bulldog sauce? Uh, it's like a um tonkatsu sauce from like japan it they call it like it's it's bulldog is like the uh i think it's the company um and uh it, it's they call it like a fruit and vegetable sauce um because it's made from like fruit and vegetables not for it because it's meant to be put on fruit and vegetables mm-hmm. uh but it's um it's really good it's really tangy it's a it i i guess the nearest comparison would be maybe barbecue sauce it's different it's definitely distinct and different but the nearest thing that people would i think be able to relate to is a barbecue sauce where it's kind of that sweet kind of tangy like kind of sauce and it yes um on chicken or tonkatsu uh which is just like breaded fried Hmm. pork cutlets stuff uh and uh yeah you put it on a bread your breaded pork or breaded chicken over on a rice bowl and it is just pure goodness nice james what do you got um okay does like does baking grease count like making um, egg i or, don't i don't know that no. i count that as a condiment it's more of a cooking thing isn't it like not really yes. Uh, I would say, goodness, um, I actually really like, uh, cilantro. Um, I have like, I do, I have a shaker of it that I use. I like it. Honestly, the taste is very like subtle. Um, but I like it cause it just adds color to like everything. (laughs) And I think it, it, I guess it makes me like feel a little bit better about, I don't know, like I'll put it, um, on my like on the meat for my sandwiches or like um i'll put it in on rice and stuff like that i have like James, salt do you and pepper. just add cilantro because it makes you look, feel fancier it does <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i put it i put it in my like potatoes when i'm making hash browns because it's like oh what's that green stuff you must really know what he's doing um so it doesn't but- taste like soap to you it doesn't, although I'm not going to lie, one time when I was eating Chinese, I did get to the bottom and I tasted something that I basically thought was a nugget of dish soap. So I don't know if it was like uh, I, like highly concentrated for me and then that's when it kicks in. Because these are like little flakes. These aren't like, I don't know, a cilantro. Well, I, thought, I thought it was cilantro. Maybe it it's is cilantro. Not. 
it is where is like some, some people, people taste like soap. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought it was, but yeah, some people just are like, no, this is soap. Yeah. That that's happened to me once before, which is why I was like apprehensive. But when I've had it in like small quantities, it, it doesn't, it doesn't taste like that. So I don't know if that was just like a crossed wire one time or what, but yeah, I'd, I'd say cilantro. Are you using dried cilantro? Yeah, it's like it's Maybe literally in like difference. it's like a shaker. Oh, that could be it. Like if it's Dry. like, yeah, yeah. I, I believe dr- dried herbs typically have a stronger intensity, which is why you're supposed to use less dry herbs as a put when when in a recipe than uh, fresh herbs. I believe. Interesting. I did not. I did not know that. Wait, dry herbs have a stronger flavor? It's yeah, it's more yeah, it's more concentrated in oh, there. You're taking the um, water content out. Mm-hmm. I see. I see, I see. Yeah, that's odd. Um it doesn't again, it's happened once to me before, but I, I don't know. Maybe that was I don't know. But uh yeah, cilantro I guess would have to be my go to. Researchers have found that cilantro may provide health benefits in the form of reducing the risk of heart disease, diabetes, obesity, and seizure severity, as well as raising energy levels and healthy hair and skin. I'm glad I ate so much of it on my tacos today at dinner. You're going to get that healthy hair. (laughs) Nice cilantro onion and steak taco. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really good, actually. Because they are. They're fucking delicious. Um, Yeah, what's your condiment and or spice? I'm going to be the most Midwesterny Midwestern of all the t- Midwesterns to ever Midwestern. Ranch! I was, uh, about to, I was about to say, can I guess, is it ranch? It's ranch! <laughs> uh, all the chefs in France just had a heart palpitation simultaneously. Oh, I can make this worse. Uh, Alright. So, now I have, I have gro- my, my enjoyment of ranch as a condiment has grown to appropriate levels of Pizza, French fries, things like as a dipping sauce, on salads, and but and there are times where you know don't use it. I'm not going to put ranch on a steak. But yeah, when I was younger, now this is like middle school, young, so I was stupid, more stupid, I should say. Um, <laughs> I tried ranch on tacos. And this man needs to be stopped on spaghetti. With marinara. Wow. Now, what I have learned, and I I actually, in ruminating on this question, I came to the realization, the reason I did that as a child is not because I necessarily wanted ranch on either of those things, although avocado ranch at Taco Bell is a fantastic addition to any of their dishes. Um, I like cream-based sauces. So, like... Oh, you're a psychopath. Well, I kind (laughs) of prefer vodka sauce over plain tomato sauce for my pasta. No, that's fair. So, Fox like, sauce. that's kind of yeah. where I was trying to aim with it. Okay, so it's like, it, it's almost kind of like a me thing, where for you it was almost more about the look of it than it was actually, like, the taste, potentially. Like, Maybe obviously... the, the look, taste, but more like the consistency. I see. And a little bit okay. of that, get, just, just get a little creamier, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally get what you mean. I love having, like, white sauce in my pasta. That stuff is... Uh, no, yeah, Alfredo is far... For, personally, I think Alfredo sauce is per, is far superior to just tomato sauce. Good Alfredo. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That well, like, fair. with, like, anything seafood and pasta is great. Oh. Like, Oh, I hate seafood. Really? Oh. A nice shrimp God. scampi. 
I was just thinking that. Yeah. Shrimps. So, shrimps. Okay, but anything else? Crab Wait, ravioli. I, I have a question then, RJ. Mm-hmm. So, like, is there like a thing you put ranch on before where you're like, people like need to know about this? Like, it might sound <laughs> off. Like, like um, they, you need to know that this actually works. I need to tell the world. To be, <laughs> to be fair, I did corrupt know. one other person into trying ranch on their pasta. And last I knew, they still did that. Oh god, it's spreading. It's spreading. Um, <laughs> the only... Is there anything else I've tried it with where I've been like, yes... I, I mean, I was a big proponent of the pe- like ranch with pizza thing. Because I, yeah. I remember starting on that back when Pizza Hut did a promotion where they did like cheese like they because you got uh stuffed crust but then they did some sort of like oh you got the pizza and then the end is a bunch of little breadstick things and here's some dipping sauces to dip them in and it was marinara sauce something else and ranch and little like six-year-old rj went hmm well this is dumb i'm just gonna put the pizza in the ranch and that's how that got started for me and i think that's the only one really um, I'll do, I'll sometimes, before I got, like, before I started eating mayo, I would do ranch on my sandwiches. And, like, if I'm oh. at Subway, I'll still get some ranch on that sucker. Dang, man, you've been a, you've been a ranch man for life. But I do, and I, I want to note, I do draw the line. I'm not doing that ranch-flavored soda. Fuck that shit. That's real. Uh. It's real, and it, I can only imagine it's as disgusting as it sounds. Well, it is ranch. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, uh, what is ranch actually? Like, what are the, what are the components of buttermilk? Oh gosh. Like, um, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure. Cause that's why it's called buttermilk ranch. Well, there's two uh, different types. Oh, that's fair. Actually. Uh, American salad dressing usually made from buttermilk, salt, garlic, onion, mustard, and herbs, commonly chives, parsley, and dill and spices, commonly pepper, paprika, ground mustard seed. Mixed into a sauce based on mayonnaise or other oil emulsion. Wow, go. it's got like basically. That's nuts. So it's like a mayo buttermilk with seasoning, which makes sense why I don't like it because I hate mayonnaise. Do you really? Yep. I can't are imagine mir- why. Are you a Miracle Whip motherfucker? God no. Good. Okay. What is it? Miracle Whip is mayonnaise. It's not. Is it? No, it's not. It's like it's like the opposite. Yeah, of it's the same thing to me. It's it's like <laughs> saying I can't believe it's not butter as butter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, wow. <laughs> you are just all kinds of disrespectful. How dare you do this to the American dairy industry? Yeah, dude. No, I I don't like Miracle Whip. I don't like uh, mayo. I don't like any of that. Oh man, rural America is upset with you. They'd like to have a word. It's still the funniest thing to me that people used to smuggle uh, fake butter. Uh, freaking, yeah, what, margarine. I, I can't believe I spaced on that. There was margarine smugglers in Wisconsin because they outlawed it. Why they outlaw them? Oh, because the dairy industry? For the dairy industry, yeah. So they to protect the dairy industry, uh, margarine was like out. You couldn't buy margarine in Wisconsin. So there were margarine smugglers from like Illinois. Oh, funny. That's like, <laughs> how has someone not made like a movie with at least people like that as like side characters or something? Because nobody funds good movies. 
Yeah, because you imagine an Al Capone-style gangster, and, like, the entire film, they allude to the product, and it's not until, like, the end you find out that what they're smuggling and making all this money on is margarine. That'd be amazing. Yeah, you could literally call him. It'd be so great. It, you could call the film the, the Butter King. No, 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 and- no, 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 no. We can't allude to the, we can't allude to butter. We gotta have the reveal. Oh, you want the reveal at the end? Well, you gotta have the surprise reveal. Yeah, it's it's the twist. We can't we can't pull Shyamalan and make the twist that obvious. Well, you could still call him. You could call it the Butter King, and like it, the products could still be hidden, and it could just be like played off as like, oh, it's a nickname, and for some reason he's unhappy with it, and people think it's because like, oh, who wants to be called the Butter King? But, but he's not. The- he's not smuggling butter, though. Is the thing. I know that's slippery as butter. Why he's actually upset? That's oh okay, Butter King, but he's really smuggling margarine. Um, Food for thought. We'll we'll, we can hash it out in the next pitch meeting. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, we got a week till the draft meeting. (laughs) Yeah, we really got to. We'll we'll have to cook up our separate treatments. We'll come together. Pitch it to uh, which which streaming service we're gonna pitch it to. Definitely not Netflix. They're standing to lose a lot of money this like this week. Really? Like an insane amount. Yeah, they're um they're projecting losses because they think conservatively that they've lost about two million subscribers in this past quarter. And like there are a lot of their shareholders apparently who are like super nervous that that number is actually like way lower and people are like basically kind of like seeing what Netflix is going to say in the next week. Because if they post like kind of like record losses of subscribers, like there's a big chance that a lot of shareholders are going to pull out. That which is like explains the rumors that they were going to sell out to Microsoft. Is wow, real? That'd be I nuts. saw a headline. Oh my god! Can you imagine if Microsoft got that? Would, what an acquisition! But they yeah. would have to. I I don't know, dude. Netflix makes like three. Like I, I was doing the average today. Like their average, like. If you average their plans, it works out to around fifteen dollars. Then you multiply that by two hundred twenty-two million global subscribers. It's like roughly three point three billion dollars, um, and that's gross. But and um, they lost all that money on Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that one Ryan Gosling movie that they're making to the Gray Man, it cost them like two hundred million. Like they're really trying to like. They're trying to reposition themselves, but I don't know. They've got maybe like another year to do it, I, or else they're. I kind of want to see that. I do too. The Gray Man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... But yeah. Um, I do want to swing back real quick because I was googling that margarine thing because I wanted to make sure I'd always heard that was like the case that they had banned margarine, and I just wanted to double check, and it is true. But I found on the Wisconsin state uh, like legislator page on laws there are still leg- regulations regarding margarine on the books one of which is the serving of colored oleo margarine or margarine at a public eating place as a substitute for table butter is prohibited unless it is ordered by the customer wow. wait wait say that again what is that you can't have margarine on the table at a restaurant unless a the, the customer specifically orders it. In Wisconsin or yeah, in like, Wisconsin. They is- have to put butter on the table unless the person asks for it. And then also the serving of margarine to students, patients, or inmates 
of any state institution as a substitute for table butter is prohibited, except that such substitution may be ordered by the institution superintendent when necessary for health of a specific patient or inmate if directed by the physician in charge. Yeah, that's kind of brilliant because if they make sure that like the state institutions have to use butter, they have like a constant, like a like a locked in stream of yeah. revenue. That's, that's like nice. I any person, people, but it's just butter. I <laughs> any person who violates any provision of this section may be fined not less than one hundred dollars, nor more than five hundred dollars, or imprisoned not more than three months, or both. Three and each, months. And for each subsequent offense may be fined not less than 500 nor more than 1,000 or imprisoned in the county jail not less than six months nor more than one year. So if you do it twice, you you can get imprisoned for a minimum of six months. Oh, my Damn. God. That's so funny. I want to see, like, these butter police or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the butter men. Oh, that's great. Damn, it's like the opposite of the vegan police. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our next segment, Better Buddies Recommend, where we recommend a piece of media to enjoy. Who wants to start? I got nothing. I got, uh, I got nothing either. RJ, do you got something? Well, I thought I did. But now I'm not so sure. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm a little worried you didn't do the homework. <laughs> There's homework. There's yeah. What are you talking about? I don't go to school anymore. There was a test. I didn't study. <laughs> I didn't study. <laughs> um. So, as we haven't, I don't think this is necessarily something worth announcing too much. But Calvin's gonna be taking a little bit of a hiatus from the show. We'll get some other people in to cover for him. I'm moving around the world. Bye bye. So we decided uh, to uh, do the thing we talked about last week in the middle of the show and all listen to the same album to discuss it. And that album was Calvin. Uh, the album's name is Departure Songs by the band We Lost the Sea, which is a great band name. It truly is. And they are an Australian uh, post-rock band. Um, yeah, uh, this is one of the first post-rock uh albums i ever listened to and what really drew me down the post-rock rabbit hole um so you've talked about post-rock before you might have explained it can you for purposes of this episode maybe explain to people like what it kind of is like what no that sounds way too sensible uh (laughs) (laughs) so i'm gonna i'm gonna read the wikipedia definition because i feel like that's gonna do a little bit better of a job than I will do. Um, But it describes it as post-rock is a form of experimental rock characterized by a focus on exploring textures and timber over traditional rock song structures, chords, or riffs. Post-rock artists are often instrumental, typically combining rock instrumentation with electronics. And I would definitely agree with that in that um, a vast majority of post-rock songs are purely instrumental. They may have some vocals of like a choir or something like that, but not necessarily lyrics. Now, you can find post-rock songs with lyrics, but more often than not, the lyrics 
don't necessarily aren't like the core part of the song, which they tend to be with a lot more like rock pop and all, um, all that kind of stuff where it's like the lyrics are like a big part of the song. Um, in post-rock, it's a lot more of that music and uh, the instrumentation as opposed to any sort of lyrics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> almost well. It's almost like I'm not gonna. I don't mean orchestral is in the way it sounds, but definitely it's like composition is made like somewhat yeah. really where it's like um, kind of different forms are are used to like like you kind of said in that description like articulate different textures and feelings and like in the same way that <clears throat> if you know kind of what a classical song is about, you can almost kind of see or like at least feel like this thread of where it's going. It's the very much the same thing with like post rock. Yeah. And a lot of people describe it as being like cinematic because a lot of um, times it remind, it'll remind people of like movie scores. And like you said, in that big orchestral feeling to them, um, mm-hmm. but it varies wildly. Um, Cause I mean, even on the Wikipedia page re- here, it says the term has since been used to describe bands, which, differ wildly in style making the term controversial among listeners and artists alike so it is quite a large umbrella of a genre um but for the most part at least when i talk about post-rock i mean those like uh moving instrumentals and stuff like and very thematic cinematic uh a lot of like um yeah, I don't. I don't know how music words are hard. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to describe, but it's that it's just got those um, very powerful like uh, themes. I feel like to the songs, and again in instrumental lines that you'll follow throughout the song and the album. Because a lot of times songs will flow together. I find that's very common with post rock songs um, and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, we lost, or not we lost, Departure Songs is notable because of its theming. Yes. So Departure Songs specifically is an album, which I have talked about this album before in a recommends. And I believe I recommended um, it as well. Oh, really? Uh, nice. Uh, yes, because I did have you listen to this before. Because um, I, th- I do think it's a fairly good intro to post-rock. Um, cause I think it did, gives a good overview because there's a lot of, um, like I said, of those big, broad, uh, instrumental things, but then there are parts of this album that samples from like recordings and breaks into some of that more esoteric, like avant-garde feeling. Um, so you kind of get a mix of that, which you can find all of that in, um, post-rock, like, uh, one that swings like a band that would swing more into the avant-garde which I would also recommend would be like Godspeed You, Black Emperor. Um, they can get weird. Uh, good, but uh, anyways, Departure Songs is about four. There's five songs to the album, but the last two songs are just part one, part two. Um, and it's all about basically people who made, um, and I'm going to probably repeat what I said before, um, but it's about people and uh, that have made like the ultimate sacrifice in some way. So hence the departure, because these people have all died in these acts that they did. Um, and RJ mentioned it before. I have the uh, 
vinyl deluxe edition and inside that there were these inserts with some really cool artwork um but it also gives a little blurb about each of the songs um so rj i don't know if you had enough thought in mind about how we wanted to go about discussing this um so i think first because i got it pulled up we can just run through like the different like a brief description of each of the scenarios that the songs are just like going after yep um and then we can talk about the like each one like each song and our thoughts about the album overall um the first one a gallant gentleman is a song focused on a 1911 british expedition to be the first humans to reach the south pole and the expedition uh failed their goal they arrived only to find out that another team had beat them to it uh, and... Those pesky Norwegians on their dog sleds. <laughs> <laughs> so of course they have to. It's they have to go back to base, uh, eight hundred and ninety-five mile journey, uh, and it was rough. Extreme weather, injuries, frostbite. Um, they began losing people due to the climate and the terrain. The, their first loss was a man who fell down an icy crevasse. Crevice. Um, crevasse, yeah. The weather was horrendously terrible and slowing them down. And their uh, Captain Lawrence Oates, an ex-English military officer, was, like, the worst off. And he had gangrene brought on by frostbite and was slowing everyone else down. And when he pleaded to be left behind, they refused. So the following night, 16th of March, 1912, Oates got up in the tent, left his boots where they were, turned to his colleagues and said... I am just going outside, and maybe sometime. Hoping to save their lives, he walked out of the tent and into the freezing night. And was never seen again. Ugh. Yeah. So do we do we want to wa- talk about the, the song right away, then? Yeah. And okay, that, that makes sense. Before we dive in, I just want to say, like, this... I was choking up at the end, because just conceptually, all of these stories hit me where it hurts. Yeah, like and I, the music. I have tears in my eyes right now. <laughs> yeah, the music hits. Oh, you want to know? You want to know an even more depressing fact? His sacrifice didn't matter. Everyone on the expedition still died. Yeah. What? Yeah, the, everyone on the expedition still died, and the rescue party that came to find them was like miles away from finding them, but was stopped because of this storm. It's brutal. So if they had been able to hang on one more day, they all would have made it. But that's not to take away from this man's like sacrifice. Yeah. Now, I have heard stories that I have read accounts that this is a somewhat apocryphal story. But I honestly don't know that that matters. Um, and um, obviously, because everyone died, it's hard to tell <laughs> what truly happened. Um, but it is kind of widely accepted as a true story. Um, and I think the meaning is still valid, yeah. even if some of the details aren't true. The thought I had yesterday, and it applies to all these songs, so I'm only going to say it once, but the thought I had was, I can only hope to God that I, in similar circumstances, would have that same courage and bravery, and at the same time, I pray I never have to find out. Yeah, right? Right. This was my favorite, maybe, of the album. You, th- you think this one was your favorite? Because uh, it starts yeah. a lot, very slow and somber. 
I really liked it. I liked, um, I immediately, like as the song progressed, um, not immediately, I, I kind of gradually got the image of this guy, like walking, um, alone in this like kind of snowy waste. Um, and I really thought the music, it was very atmospheric and it was mm -hmm. odd cause it was very slow and somber. Um, but you could like, you could see this, like, like where you're talking about it being cinematic, you could see this playing out over like a wide shot of like somebody like just walking in this whiteout, basically like, um, and just this, you know, kind of like following them essentially. Um, I thought it was like peace and calm sort of, um, despite the external circumstances. And I thought it conveyed a sort of like, um, sad, but sweet, like resolve, to to kind of finish like to do what had to be done i guess yeah. um i i yeah i yeah. think this might have one of the one of the best first 30 second tone settings i've heard to an album because the first 30 seconds are like you said a very slow start but it's a very purposeful start i think yeah yeah, and I think another really aspect that I like of it is it's the same, like, rhythm and tone repeated for the first, like, three minutes. Like, it just kind of continues, but it doesn't It doesn't almost feel like it's repeating. But I bet if we looked at the music, it's the same things being played for, like, three minutes straight. Because I actually have it playing right now. Uh, <laughs> and... It's pretty much the same thing over and over again, which I do think leads to what you're saying, James, about being able to picture this just like person look staring out bleakly out of like a tent in the middle of Antarctica at just a blizzard and knowing you're like, this is it either way. And maybe if you just end your end it now, you'll save your friends or the other people on this expedition. Yeah, it it. It's weird. It has almost like, a, and it, it is probably because of the story that's connected to it, but it does, it sounds like nihilistic, but not mm -hmm. in a bad way. Like it sounds like knowing that the sacrifice probably won't mean really that much, but doing it anyway, because like what little you have to give is worth giving, I guess. Um, it's a nice, like kind of quiet, um, whole sort of constant feeling that's like yeah. really transfixing to listen to and it's got this really cool moment that it's I, I wouldn't call it a drop but that's like the nearest thing i could describe it as um that around the three and a half minute mark yep. it goes from this repeated like slow and somber to um there's like a choir that kind of starts picking up and then you hear the the like the electric guitar really starts picking up and then it like i said it's not like a drop but that's about it just like that crescendo just finally hits and it yeah. and it's still playing the same rhythm and, and like melody but now it's just it's more full and that crescendo is finally built and this is where it becomes that really cinematic style that a lot of post rock has cuz you could really picture this as like being a moment in a film of like if this was a film, this would be the moment when he steps out of the tent. It's also yeah. where the, maybe if he does or, is when the human vocals are added. Yes. <clears throat> yes. I could, um, I could even see the, it like that 
bit with the choir being like he's already been walking and it's like he's like fallen down on the ground like collapsed or something like that and it's like the end you know um Mm -hmm. yeah uh and i i don't want to cut off the discussion per se but i also do want to say that we have basically three more songs so unless we want (laughs) we may want to move on really quick can i talk about um someone i noticed in the comments like someone pointed out like the detail on the album cover and how it's like a mix of all the themes of the songs in one um which i just thought was really cool like are you looking are you talking about the one that looks like a floating island and you see the guy on the far left walking in and all that stuff yeah it's like the okay this, yeah, yeah, so that's like the that's not like the like uh, album cover per se, but that is like part of the album artwork. That's like the centerfold on the vinyl. That's that artwork, and um, basically each of those little sections um, that that I sent you those pictures of those stories. On the flip side, is those little scenes broken down into its own piece of art, and then they combine them for that greater one. And I would agree. I love the artwork for it. One yeah, it's just <laughs> a very cool. visual discussion we're having, but I think the best part is how they managed to centralize m- most or all of them as very much a vertical because so much of it is and how it's mm-hmm. either down or up. And so it's very focused in on that central through line. Yeah, that's a really good point. I even think about that. They are pretty much aligned in a way. Yep. And they go left to right from the stories um, and they match with the song order. Uh, the next song. But yes. Is yep. Bogatiri. Uh, B-O-G-A-T-Y-R-I. That is a Ukrainian word literally meaning knights. Yeah, I looked it up. They're basically knights errant. They're the Eastern Slavic equivalent of the Knights of the Round Table, basically. That's cool. Um, and this one, in the midst of the cleanup of the infamous Chernobyl nuclear disaster in April of 1986, uh, the reactor was flooded with highly radioactive water. And the steam was threatening to cause an explosion and would carry radioactive material and gas across a large portion of Europe. They needed to release the pressure, uh, but the drain to the reactor was at the bottom of the water. They had to go dive into the water and open it by hand. Uh, Anyone involved, it meant a certain and painful death. And so, three men volunteered. They did not ask for glory or riches. Simply that once they passed, their families would be looked after. Uh, and in diving down, their, the only lamp they had with them failed. It shut off. They were blind. And still they continued on, feeling their way down into the bottom and opening the valve. Ten days later, all three were buried in lead coffins. Yeah. And I... I, again, I some of this is apocryphal, but I know those three people because they name them in that story did uh, do events that saved Europe from like <laughs> the worst of the nuclear fallout. So uh, I believe this is also represented in that uh, um, HBO Chernobyl like docudrama. This scene is also shown and played out. Yeah. But yeah, so basically, as I said, the Bogatiri, which is what the song is named, is named for like the three knights, or is a story of like knights errant, and they're just like these historical like 
fantastical characters that pop up in folklore and all this stuff. People described of uh, insane courage, strength, bravery, um, and stuff like that. So that's why it's named after these three guys that went in and were like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just go in and volunteer for an excruciatingly horrific, slow, painful death to save everyone else. It is uh, it is interesting, too, because there's uh, I would say that the song is like debatably the most um, bombastic or like, yeah, like, yeah, I'd hesitate to say fun. Like all the songs are like fun in the sense that they're enjoyable, like pieces of art. But this one is the most like, I guess, driving as well. It, it you, you can sense like a, a sort of like not comical, but very, yeah, very fun. Like, and I think night part of that. And- is that it's pulling from its Eastern European roots of the like Ukraine Russian area and kind of the more stylings of that music. I was going to say like, I've caught snippets here and there of like Russian or like Eastern European, like rock kind of. And some of the riffs that they use in the guitar bits, like it sounds like snippets, like bits and pieces from like an older Eastern European, like rock song like it's kind of corny but it's still very like fun and full of this like energy um and it's like this one like uh the imagery was just really cool i think this one for me had like i liked the story the most in this one um like the imagery and stuff like that was really fun to think about yeah this this one for me it had that again it has that really slow start very similar to the first song so um it's got this kind of interesting thing like what you were saying with that um more upbeat feeling to me it felt like and this is someone not knowing anything about eastern european music but the idea that i got was the beginning was that more kind of that folky music now it's still very um electric guitar and like modern take on it but it's i felt like it felt more like a somber folk music that maybe these guys would hear like again going back to the cinematic imagery and like of a film that it would be in the background of while they're in their village or something of like you would picture these guys this would be like the soundtrack going around these guys village like it's somber because it's oppressive soviet russia uh or soviet union (laughs) but it's it's also like got that like upbeat Again, with the like optimistic nihilism kind of thing that you were saying, like, yeah. uh, and then uh, like, this is a long song. This song's almost 12 minutes long and about halfway through or so, it really starts picking up tempo and shifts from the more kind of not like twangy, but you have a bit more of like a kind of twang on the guitar to that from that folk element. It really shifts into the driving electric guitar and the more harder rock, um, to it and i would mark that point or at least in my head that point is the point where the light went out like the because it's all a little bit brighter a little bit ha- slower a little bit acoustic and then the light goes out and that's the we still have to get this done and we have to find this but now we're hampered and impaired and struggling more but if we don't succeed we're about to destroy Europe. Yeah. And it's funny too. Cause like night errands, it like, it is kind of like a Knights of the round table thing, but a night errand was somebody I think specifically who did not have a Lord. Like they were yeah. like 
Ronin almost. So they were kind of like they're who they were wandering was in the night. apocalypse. Yeah, basically. <laughs> they're kind of like roguish, you know what I mean? Like they were usually depicted as kind of like uh not like rejects, but more like outcasts. Like they were like going from place to place, kind of like finding adventures and, yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like fun to think of like a ragtag group of like modern knight errands. Just the image of like a bunch of knights, like guys in full medieval armor, kind of like the the photo I posted, like diving down to the bottom of a nuclear reactor to like <laughs> stop it is kind of yeah. like really fun to me, especially set to that song. Um, that's really cool. Well, and I think part of it too is that they weren't ordered to do so. It was these three individuals who they did not serve a lord. They were not notable in terms of like local heroism or being defenders of the realm they were three dudes yeah called upon by the greater good to serve and they did can i can i say really quickly too i was actually very surprised by this album um like when i read the first story i was like yeah i was kind of expecting um at least in terms of like content uh I honestly, when I heard this song, I expected like a bunch of sea shanties. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, when the band is called I, "We Lost the Sea," <laughs> yeah, I was like expecting like some Assassin's Creed, uh, whatever, uh, like Black Flag type stuff. But um, I, I thought it was really interesting how they incorporated like uh, when I when I read that first story, I was like, okay, so it's probably gonna be a bunch of stories from like the mid 19th to early 20th century about like explorers and like yeah. Uh, failed like expeditions and and you know lost uh kind of uh, yeah guys like that i thought it was cool that they did like some modern stuff like this like chernobyl and like some of the other ones i thought that was cool yeah yeah i felt like they did a good job of covering like a spread of eras like the first one starts off with that classic kind of the explorers of around the world um like failed expeditions because like you said there are numerous of those those there's a bunch of those um so they kind of cover that i feel like with the first song and then the second one is kind of the mid-century like uh i i would i it's not like a wartime thing but i even though it was like the 80s wasn't it i think it's like the 80s was chernobyl so it's like i i don't know i felt it felt like that more um I don't know, maybe just because it's the Soviet Union um, and that's kind of skewing it. But it felt that more of that, like, kind of oppressive, like, government bleak, maybe wartime-esque, like, you're being called on, like, the government's, like, sending you to die, but these people still volunteer for that. Um, So that's kind of why I felt like that covered. And then minor spoilers for the next two, like, the next one is kind of, like more recent of times and then the last one yeah 2005 and this album came out in 2015 um and then the last one kind of covers um is like a reset of back to what the first one is but where our next exploration takes place because it's about the challenger so it's into space the last one also took place the same year as the uh chernobyl incident oh really i didn't realize that in 1986 I think if I interesting if I was correct. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, January well, of 1986 I... Challenger explosion, and then like four months later Chernobyl. 86, not a great year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But yeah, we should probably move on to the next song then. Our next one, yeah. The Last Dive of David Shaw. Uh, throughout history, fewer than 10 people have been known to dive to a depth of 250 meters. Uh, more people have walked on the moon. More people have been on the Great British Baking Show. Which, fun fact, more people have been in space than on the Great British Baking Show. So, Interesting. Yeah. Nice. Um, David Shaw was one of them. Uh, there is a freshwater cave high in the mountains of South Africa uh, that... He went for a world record-breaking dive and discovered the body of Dion D- Dreyer, who had been lost ten years earlier. Uh, Shaw abandoned his dive and returned to the surface with one goal in mind. <clears throat> bringing Dion's body home for his family. Uh, so he dove, he surrounded by community, like a bunch of eyes were on him, he, this was getting press. He dove down into what is known as the dead zone knowing that the dive may be his last. Uh, After reaching the body, his line became tangled, and struggling to surface, uh, David's body finally gave into the depths. While attempting to recover his dive equipment four days later, the remaining crew unexpectedly pulled David's body to the surface, and attached to him was the body of Dion Dreyer. He had accomplished what he set out to do, and paid the ultimate price. Uh, and at the end yeah. of it, I think something worth noting is that his wife said he was like a bird. You put him, a bird, in a cage, or you let it fly free. If you put him in a cage, he is never really happy. Having him fly free was always a risk. There was always the chance he wouldn't come back. God damn it. <laughs> these, it's are, a pretty... these stories really just get to me that hard. Yeah, especially going after White. One on its own is like, oh, that's brutal and sad. But then going after from one to the next to the next, it, it is pretty brutal. Uh, but yeah, so this one's also another you know, uh, sad story of the guy just going, sacrificing himself for something else. Like, he didn't have to go back down to get the body. Like, it had been 10 years since DeAndre had passed. Like, they had kind I'm sure his family had kind of given up hope of having a body to bury. So it, this was not something he needed to do, but when he encountered the body during one of his dives, he immediately was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm bringing him home. And so they set up this whole thing. Um, and it's, it's an intense dive because one, when you get to those depths, you have insane amounts of pressure above you. You're under like 10 atmospheres or something ridiculous. So it's a lot of pressure. The amount that you have to do, what you have to go through for your, um, what you're breathing in, because you're breathing in like this mixture of like helium at that point, because a lot of diving is like a nitrous oxide, mixing nitrogen in and all this stuff. When you get to that depth, you're breathing in like helium because it has to be lighter because you're under so much pressure. And the amount of safety that goes into this, um, they're not kidding when they say that fewer men or more men have like walked on the moon and stuff like it is an intensely dangerous intensely like like the amount of skill needed to do this it's a very and he's still activity yes um and then what makes this place that he was diving even more dangerous is that it's located like two thousand feet above sea level like it's on like a plateau or like a mountain kind of deal so 
that also, when you deal with elevated diving, that increases things as well because you have to change what the Earth's atmosphere and like all this stuff. So it's an elevated dive to an extreme depth. So this is like an insane place to dive. And yeah, when he finally got down there, he almost had it all set. He was working on recovering the body. And I believe the story is he was told that the body wasn't going to float after 10 years and it unexpectedly started to float and he got tangled in all of the tubes because he had lines running down to him to supply oxygen and or and all the air because you're down there for so long you can't have enough tanks that at that point you have like lines running to you and mm. stuff um i believe and so he got tangled in the body when it unexpectedly started to float and the crazy thing is um when you how this song starts out with is it's audio i believe from his dive oh. because he was wearing uh he was wearing a video camera i believe so i believe i i, I i'll look this up real quick um because yeah i did notice I th- that like it's starting with respirator sounds and you can hear the breathing but this is a point where i want to make one criticism of it and it's not a major criticism, but I think a lot of the songs start just a little too softly for a little too long. Cause I had to and that's fair. Crank yeah. the vo- particularly on this one, I had to crank the volume to realize there was even noise happening. And then once like it got into the loud chunk of the song, I turned it back down to what I had it at. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see now. I may have read that. I read that somewhere. I could be mistaken on that. Um, that'd be a little, that'd be a little maudlin, wouldn't it? They, they had a, I, I also believe I read that they like had the okay from the family to make this song. Like, yeah, no, you can watch the video of David Shaw's dive on YouTube. Um, so you can watch. That's a, that's a crazy thing too. I don't know that I would recommend it, but you can watch. It's an insanely difficult thing to do, and you get X to X depth, and you run into a corpse, and your first thought isn't, fuck that, I'm never doing that again, it's, I'm going back down. I, yeah, I, I, um, I really liked the moment in the song, um, where it was like, I think it's like three or four minutes in. And you're right, RJ, does start like a little softly and then it it gets like louder. And there's this point where it's like, it's like for a few minutes, it's like you can feel the diver going down. It feels kind of like dark and you have this like sense of foreboding because you already kind of know what's going to happen and you're able to like maybe get in the mind or perspective of this person who's doing it. And there's just that sense of sort of like, this is kind of it. And then it feels like there's a break where like in, again, around three or four minutes, it shifts. And it's like, it's beautiful wherever they are. Like, like they're reminded for a moment as they're descending, like why they're actually doing this, like why they enjoy doing this, why they would like die doing this. Um, I really liked that and again i'm not like a huge musical person so i can't exactly i wish i could speak to more technical um 
uh, just aspects of it so I can maybe give like more textual evidence as to why I think this is the way it is. But that's just a feeling I remember getting like while I was listening to it. This one was pretty... Uh, Honestly, even though the next one is the challenger, this one is maybe for me the saddest. It's it's pretty yeah. it's pretty tragic. Yeah, yeah, and I I found it on a website called Can This Even Be Called Music? Um so who knows. But it's like a review of the album and that's where I read it and it and they are claiming that the the intro is a sound clip from the video The Last Dive of David Shaw which can be found on YouTube. And it's so it's uh, it's maybe not the last moments, but it is moments of the audio from his dive. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if they just took moments and uh, and then like they didn't take the final moments. Yeah. But it does kind of blend out, and th- and there is this it, there's this like build of like static that happens, and it and that's the transition from like the breathing which gets a little frantic a bit towards the end and then it builds into this music and this crescendo and the, it really starts picking up and i and i do agree with what you were saying james if you feel this like this descent but then it like it changes but there's a bit of it i feel like there's almost a bit of anxiety in that beginning of the music yeah. like it's I... not necessarily in that peaceful place yet like there is that anxiety and that almost fear that you feel at the beginning of the music. And then it, it drops and it gets very quiet. And I think it then transfers, it kind of, it crescendos back again. And then at the end, you get that like way more peace and tranquil for the, for the finale. No, I would, I would, uh, I would totally agree. It's a, it's, um, I know I've been kind of pointing it out with these songs, but I think they just do a great job. And again, it's like the stories do help, but they do a great job at just like really, uh, kind of like you said, like with some post rock, like providing this texture and this like color. And sometimes when you listen to music that's debatably more ambient like this, it's like a little too blurry, a little too ambiguous, and it doesn't really strike you um as much but this stuff like too despite, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. but this stuff feels very like bold but not in a way that's like um blaring it feels just very like solid like they know kind of what they want to like how they want to take you through these and they're doing it in a way that's um also incredibly like sympathetic um to the stories which i think is like really cool to have that to go on that like just through a piece of music yeah 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 do we want to move to the last one uh yeah probably last one challenger which has parts one and part two uh january 1986 space shuttle challenger exploded 73 seconds into its flight burning up almost two million liters of fuel in a few seconds and killing all seven people aboard six astronauts and one civilian school teacher christine Krista McAuliffe. Uh, and the... It was... Part of the tragedy of this, it, beyond just the loss of life, is that the destruction in its capsule slow plummet back to Earth were on live television in front of stunned onlookers. Uh, and has been played yeah. and viewed over and over again throughout the t- years past. Uh, the Challenger shows man's resolve to explore the great unknown. 
Never-ending search for a greater understanding? God damn it. <laughs> uh, Man, these got you, dude. <laughs> yeah, they really got you. They fucking got my number. And I can explain yeah. why in a minute. Um, yeah. Of who you are both personally and as a race. Our own resolve to be better, and that we are all trapped in this tiny speck of dust in an infinite universe. A reminder of who we've lost along the way, of those who burnt too fast and too bright, and who are extinguished too soon. Alright, RJ, why do these songs have your number? Because it's the What's same the... feeling I get with Marvel characters. Specifically, really? why Spider-Man is one of my favorites. And Elaborate. So, like, yeah, and, and I think this is why this actually hits me harder, is because these are people. These are just people. Um, mm. And this also goes into why I prefer Marvel over DC, is... Particularly in the Golden Years, DC characters were just their powers. They were a little blank slatey, a little too perfect. Meanwhile, Silver Age Marvel characters had a darkness. It's part of the reason why, like, the boys, its main characters, are based on the Justice League. Not necessarily because the Justice League is that much more popular. Clearly, Marvel is winning in that regard in terms of public opinion. But because... If you're trying to make dark pastiches of Marvel characters, you have to be more thoughtful, more careful about it, because they already are, many of them already all fight against the inner darkness and the desire to give in to these dark impulses and their f flaws as humans. Um, compared to DC heroes who for, for a long time were just automatically morally upright, upstanding good people with no interior flaws whatsoever who never had to grapple with the human conundrums or human personality flaws and with marvel and like spider-man specifically spider-man is a character who has very human flaws who started off as a teenager who just wanted to not get bullied and who wanted to ha like make sure his aunt and uncle were okay and be a teenager and constantly throughout in for better or worse, under better writers and worse writers, he's a character who wants to go home. He wants to be able to just go home and live his life. And when, and every time, he, he comes down to this decision and goes, no, I'm going back out there. Um... I think the best MCU example I can give is actually in Avengers Age of Ultron, where it's played off as a little bit of a joke, but they're fighting Ultron as the Sokovia is rising into the air, and Hawkeye is hiding in a building with Scarlet Witch, and Hawkeye rightly points out, like, there are ten men all over the place, the city is flying, there are gods and robots and living weapons, and I am a man with a bow. And he tells Scarlet Witch that she can either stay here, he'll tell his brother where she is, and she'll be safe, or she can step out the door and do the right thing. And so it's just, a lot of it plays into, as well, like, that's why I like those characters and why I connect so much is, like I said at the beginning, I didn't want to, like, say it for every song, but... I pray to God I have these qualities, and I hope I never have to find out. 
they they are definitely by nature extreme examples but they are excellent demonstrations of qualities that i think like it's very true it's it's like a very noble thing to kind of both live and like die this way but it's also something where you you both secretly hope like you said like that you have these that you have that in you um and you also secretly hope that you never you never have to do something like this because it's just to face like the end in such a totality especially in a way that just literally blindsides you gives you no time just comes out of absolutely nowhere whether it's by circumstance or your own choice or accident and it's um i think that's part yeah. of why the first two like i honestly the last two songs on the album are my least favorite really just i they i don't know what it is but i just have no preference but comparing that I... to the first two and like the never having to find out is i don't think anyone would blame like the the guy in the first in the gallant gentleman i don't think anyone would have blamed him and in fact they tried to stop him from being left behind even though he was slowing them down and no one would have blamed him if he had continued on with them so i if i was put in that situation i also am fearful of being faced with a decision like this and being almost selfish with it and then having to proceed to live or potentially die knowing that not necessarily the wrong choice but the i there was a better choice well but that yeah that's what i think makes these all these stories more significant is that if any of these people had chosen the opposite way I don't think it was the wrong choice. I and I and I and I don't think you can fault anyone for choosing the opposite of what anyone in these stories does choose. And I think that to me makes it all the more powerful is the fact that they didn't have to do any of this. Like none of these things like you said before, like the, none of these people were ordered into doing it. None of these people were like told, "Well, you're going to do this or I'm going to shoot you in the head." Like all of this was I these people voluntarily choosing to do the thing that in almost every case they knew would lead to their death. Now, the Challenger one is a unique scenario and the same with David Shaw. Um, and I also think that's an interesting theme in this um, in the album as well, is that the first one is um someone being basically saying i'm gonna go let myself die in this moment the second one being i'm a group of uh, the three guys saying i'm gonna choose to do this task that yeah is gonna lead to my death down the road they didn't know how long or how quickly but they knew it was like yeah this is pretty much it for us but it's like a delay and then the next one is someone who knew that there was a very real chance of dying but they didn't know if they would or not and they were going to make it out and then the next one was an even less chance of dying but they still decided to take that risk i think that's an interesting thematic as well i don't know if that's intended um well and i i didn't think about that till now so good on you for catching it uh, dude but yeah i do want to talk about these last two songs a bit yeah. because um challenge because like i said it's Divided into two parts, Challenger Part 1, Flight, and then Challenger Part 2, Swan Song. And Flight is really the story of the Challenger, and then Swan Song 
um, is the challenger, but it really is like the swan song of the album. And it kind of encapsulates all of the prior stories in this one song. So um, flight, I think is really fascinating. And I'm actually, I, I, I don't know if they're my favorite. I don't know if I have a favorite, but I do really enjoy the challenger song, the, the two last songs. Um, I think the first one is really interesting because it's for the first, like, five minutes it's just a droning noise over a um monologue by who is it i looked it up uh william s burroughs um (laughs) he's talking about on dreams and he basically tells this story about dreams which i don't necessarily buy but i find it interesting uh (laughs) and he talks and he and he does this little like couple minute monologue about how um his his idea of dreams being uh training for human exploration into space so uh i won't go into that too much because we're already pretty long but like i would recommend when uh, if someone's listens to this album really listening to that monologue because i do think it's an interesting monologue like i said i don't buy it but i like it uh (laughs) and then it goes from this like droning noise to it drops down into this more quiet song again it drifts away and then it really starts building with this like really more hard um drum and guitar line and it and it's and it just keeps building and building and building and i think the key to this one is that the other three songs you would be forgiven to not know what they are one by their name alone, but two, even if someone told you the names of the people in the stories that you had never heard these stories before, I think you could be easily be forgiven. Almost everyone has heard of Challenger and knows what happened to the Challenger. So I think that adds to the song and that this build, you know what the crescendo is. You already know what you're building to. And I still think that you're you get this almost heroic aspect at the beginning of that you would get this build up of like the crew getting ready to be like, we're going to space We're like, we're doing this. And then it, it just gets crazier and louder and louder. And then they start cutting in the, uh, the launch sequence. You hear the mission control count down the liftoff and it's and like, you, again, you know what's happening and you hear them saying, yeah, we have liftoff. We've cleared the tower. Everything's looking great. And then the, the, the music kind of just cuts out eventually and you're left with the actual audio of people who witness this on the ground live. And it's just people, and you can really feel the just disbelief and horror of these people that just witnessed the Challenger explosion. And you're left with like mission control being like, obviously there was this catastrophic event. We'll let you know when we get more information. And then that's like the end of part one. Yeah. No, it's a brutal like you kind of forget for 20 odd years uh space travel had been a pretty big it had been on the forefront of like america's mind debatably and maybe not so much you know in the in the mid 80s as it was in like the you know throughout the 60s when it was really starting up with the space race but it was still pretty big i mean mm-hmm. uh, and the challenger was notable too because wasn't that one of the first ins- like one of if not the first instance of a civilian it yes, was, they made they made a big deal about finding a civilian to send up. It was the first I think it's saying here it was the first fatal um 
incident, the first fatal accident involving an American spacecraft in flight. In flight, Apollo yep. 1 caught fire on the pad and all three astronauts were killed, but you're correct. This was the first time a shuttle or like vessel had like exploded. And even then there's only one other instance and that's the Columbia burning up on reentry and that happens 20 like 20 years later. Um But yeah, and so this was a big event. Everyone in the nation was watching this. No, it's yeah, and when you think about it, schools that had that going. Her class, because she was a school teacher, her class watched it happen live. No, I I will say, um, the like that that lead in the recording that leads into it, um, which is like uh, funny because it's it's. Wow, James, Strange. you think tragedy's hilarious. You I think horrible it's person. A riot. Uh, no, <laughs> no. I I think the the lead in that audio lead in by Burroughs is interesting because it's odd. It's oddly hopeful um, mm-hmm. for what we know. Then, like, uh, follows um, essentially, and uh, especially talking about dreams and. Um, I'm kind of forgetting like what some of the more specifics of the audio were, but I just thought that was like an interesting way to start it off and give like the event almost sort of a, a supernatural like glaze to it, uh, which then like the second song obviously kind of builds on as well. It makes it that much more impactful too of like they're putting they're using the music to build that hope that people felt watching it and leading up to it the excitement of space and we're progressing we're we've gotten to a point with space travel where we can send an average person up there yeah oh yeah, yeah. no i could I, see yeah no you go no you know you go ahead i i was going to say really quick i could see with like the drone and then the audio playing over it like i could just see the like an image of like uh you know like a tv screen or or like several channels like flipping between the incident where it's like this low drone and then like over that shot of the like explosion in the air like the um you know the the voiceover starts to come in and talking about dreams and we're flipping through these like these images of uh, of a horrific disaster set to this sort of like somewhat um like pun really not intended like somewhat spacey monologue almost yeah um and i was gonna move on to the part two if that's fine yeah go for it uh yeah and i would just say that i i really do think that even though they're called challenger part one challenger part two like the tale of the challenger as a with the other stories is really completed with the, the part one flight and then part two, Swan Song, really is this kind of encapsulating thing for the album because it starts very sad and somber because you just ended on the previous note of the hearing the audio clips of the people watching the explosion. And it starts very sad and somber um, and it builds and it slowly it just keeps building louder. But it's not at the end of the prior song. It, it was driving loud, but it was it was chaotic at the end there. There was a lot going on and like you could feel that energy and it was just like all over. It felt kind of all over the place and hectic. This felt the end is it's more powerful and purposeful. 
And it really is, as the title says, a swan song that just kind of encapsulates that feeling that we've been talking about through each of the like the deeper meaning that we're pulling from these stories. I feel like this final song really brings that together and you can feel that. And about the six minute mark, it really just kind of explodes isn't really the right term because it's not so dramatic, but it really bursts through, I feel like. And I just feel like that one is just a perfect encapsulation to me of, yes, these events are horribly tragic and sad, um, but they really show you the light that still exists in them at the end, at the in the driving connection and spirit of like humanity and through it all. I to- I totally agree. I I didn't totally pick up on what was going on until I heard like kind of a riff um, or maybe a measure that sounded like it was a snippet from uh, like a gallant gentleman, like the first song. And then I was like, oh, this is like a compendium thing. Like they're all weaving mm. them. Um, and I was like, okay, that's really cool. And I thought to like the, uh, uh, just that the audio lead out where it's like Reagan basically addressing and yes. you know, what, whatever, whatever you think of like Reagan, like at least you can just think of it as an old man talking about the, you know, about what happened. And, and I thought um, some of the ending lines were like uh, kind of, going off of what you were saying where it's very like um it's incredibly hopeful incredibly sort of like upward looking for an album that deals mainly with death it's it's wildly almost optimistic uh in a way about you know the purpose or events or just the the occurrence these of these these things that happen my last two cents uh, is based on like everything you guys just said is why I have faith in humanity and the the hope, right? Like we live in some pretty scary times. We just had a global pandemic and Russia is beating against the door. Well, not beating against the door. It's forced its way into the house and is ransacking the kitchen of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And there's all the concerns about uh, tribalism and everything. And, of course, like, poverty and food and starvation and all the previous societal ills we've had for the last thousand years are still knocking against us. But we're still going. And... Yeah, and... Like, sorry, sorry, I just... We're still going, and you can... Maybe it's hard to see the qualities we've just pointed out in the day-to-day, but they're there. And if they're there, they'll come back. No, I'm done. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, and I would just say, adding on to what you said, James, about, like, Reagan, like, regardless, like, taking all politics out of it, my God, that man was like you could tell he was an actor and was perfect at like public speaking and his speech writer whoever wrote that speech my god man uh because it i can't imagine watching that after having just lived through the challenger disaster like or like having witnessed that on tv and then seeing this address like 
I don't know. That would have been insanely emotional, I feel like. Because, I mean, at, at the end of the song, I do feel like it is the perfect, perfect encapsulation to end the song with. And I think they just nail it with that. The music, like I had said, build and kind of had burst forth with this, like, hope and stuff. And then it just falls out. And there's just a light kind of hanging on as Reagan's speech after the disaster kind of gets brought in. And it really does encapsulate all of the stories you could say that he was talking about. And I don't know, just the way the music finally drifts off and you just are left with Reagan with his final words, um, like his final line of where he just says, we will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Like, the, those last two lines are from a poem, but mm. it's like, it's just per, it's the perfect encapsulation of the entirety of the album. I agree. I agree. I agree. It's, um, no, it's, it's really beautiful. And I, I think like, um, I don't know, you know, it, it can be, a, it can be pretty painful to, <laughs> to be alive. Like, even if you're not out in the Arctic or like, you know, a thousand, a thousand meters or, you know, below the water or like on a space shuttle going, you know, going up, like no matter where you are, I guess it, it can be pretty tough sometimes just to like get up in the morning. I know that's a very like modern statement, but you think about like, you know, trying to get up sometimes and you're like, man, why, you know, why? Um, and like, I think almost everyone has that thought before they sometimes roll out of bed and no matter what people just seem to keep on doing it. So I do think everyone has that quality and actually exercises it more often than they think they do, which gives me hope as well. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a scary time to be alive, but it's always kind of been a scary time to be alive. And simultaneously, it's also kind of like beautiful. It's impressive we've managed to hold it together this long and talk about holding know, it together this long as episodes gone on forever. Am I right? So sorry. Uh, <laughs> hey, this was your fault. This, this is what you fault. brought on. Very, very good pick Calvin. This was a pretty, I would have never listened to something like this, nor would I've known about these stories. Had you not suggested this? Yeah, it's a pretty intense album, uh, but I would recommend it. One, honestly, honestly, you disconnect, the meanings behind the songs and all that stuff. I do still think it's genuinely musically a, good a very good album. Like I just yes. st separating it. Like I'll listen to it just because the music is great. I love the music, but I do think it really has such an intense, deeper meaning when you are able to connect it. Uh, it's fantastic. To study the music. Stuff. Really good music to study too. It is. Yeah, I could totally see this too. If you have like a balcony or you have a view of like a city or something, even if you're on a cabin, I mean, this honestly, like if you're just kind of sitting outside and watching the world go by, this is a great album to put on, I would say. All right. Well, I, uh, I don't think we'll be doing any uh, of our last segment this week. Dang. <laughs> uh, we're at, we're our recording of raw audio is currently at an hour 30. <laughs> Nice. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, so, gentlemen, thank you for joining this week. That was a really good discussion. 
Uh, I apologize slightly for how often I choked up, but uh, yeah, it really just hits me that hard. How dare you have emotion? Yeah. Uh, so fine. Thank you to the band Problem of Interest for letting us use the song Living in the Moment off the album Cross Off Yesterday. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify. You can find our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Please rate, review, subscribe, download all those fun things. Please tell your friends and family about us. More listeners is always cool and fun, and I, if anything, I think this episode is one that anybody could enjoy beyond just the, like, normal nerd bullshit we talk about. Uh... You can also find us on social media, Facebook, Better Buddies. We post our meme Mondays and our icebreaker questions on Twitter, at Better Budcast. Use the hashtag Better Buddies when we tweet about the show. And our Gmail account, BetterBuddiesCast at gmail.com. You can send us fan art, hate art, fan mail, hate mail, declarations of love and or war, icebreakers you want us to answer, or questions you need advice on. And last but not least, be a better buddy. <laughs>